Fidelity High, the people you dig, the records they love. Wayne Coyne is a musician, visual artist, and frontman of the legendary psychedelic rock band The Flaming Lips. Formed in 1983 in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, their hit song Do You Realize was named the state's official rock song, and an alley has also been dedicated to the band by the Oklahoma City Council. In 2001, Wayne made his directorial debut with the science fiction film Christmas on Mars, and he is also the writer and illustrator of the comic book The Sun is Sick. The band have won multiple Grammy Awards and are also the subject of the 2005 documentary film The Fearless Freaks. Well known as a must-see live act, The Flaming Lips broke the Guinness World Record for the most live concerts performed in a 24-hour time span. Wayne is a frequent collaborator of Yoko Ono, Kesha, and Miley Cyrus, and alongside the other members of The Flaming Lips, released the 23-song album Miley Cyrus and Her Dead Pets in 2015. Wayne is also the creator of The King's Mouth, an enormous and immersive art installation piece that is synchronized to an exclusive soundscape by The Flaming Lips. The King's Mouth is a traveling installation that has been hosted at several museums. In 2017, The Flaming Lips released their 14th studio album, Oxymelody, to critical acclaim. This year, the band have received a Tony Award nomination for their work on the original score of SpongeBob SquarePants, the musical. They have also released Scratching the Door, the first recordings of The Flaming Lips, and are set to release the first volume of their greatest hits this year via Warner Brothers Records. This is Wayne Coyne from The Flaming Lips, and my fidelity high is Donovan's Greatest Hits. You know, it was at a time when I was getting turned on to a lot of great uh, punk rock records at the same time. And I remember there would be days where, you know, you'd put on the Husker Du record, you'd put on the Donovan record, and put on a Psychedelic Furs record. And in my world, in our life, in the way that we were perceiving music, that was... That was the greatest thing ever, that it was, it was just music that you, you loved, you know. You know, you can't deny music, especially when you're young, when music gets into you when you're young, that, um, that influence or that, that um, you know, that coloring it has over what, you know, the kind of music that you're, uh, if you're lucky enough to make music or, or the kind of music that you kind of have a, you know, this, this, this subconscious desire to be or whatever. And there is a sense of that Donovan type of songwriting in our thing. And I think it's mostly um, because some of his songs, not all of his songs, but, but some of his songs would be simple enough that I could have figured them out, you know, because <laughs> it's like when music gets too complicated, um, even like a lot of Bob Dylan's music, I mean, for my abilities as a guitar player and being able to listen and figure out what people are playing, I could never really figure it out. But there would be a few of Donovan's songs that I would have been able to figure out. And then I could have said, oh, it's these, even if I was wrong, I could have said, oh, it's these chords and I can hear this melody and I can figure out these little connections. But um, yeah, so I I think any of that, the, the simplicity of it definitely helped me figure out some things, yeah. 
When Donovan was just 19 years old, he released his first single, Catch the Wind, on March 12, 1965. The single version of the song featured reverb on his voice, along with a string arrangement. Following its release, Donovan re-recorded the song, doing away with the reverb and strings and adding a harmonica solo for the version found on his debut album, What's Been Did and What's Been Hid, released just two months later. The song's melody was reminiscent of Dylan's Chimes of Freedom, prompting the media to name Donovan the British Bob Dylan. The tag may have been an unjust one, as the pair were both strongly influenced by the songs of Woody Guthrie before them. Just 10 days after the single release of Donovan's Catch the Wind, Dylan shocked audiences by going electric on side two of his album, Bringing It All Back Home, moving past the traditional folk the pair were both emulating. When Epic Records were compiling Donovan's greatest hits three years later, they were unable to secure the rights to the previous recordings of Catch the Wind. Donovan then re-recorded the song for a third time with his producer and collaborator Mickey Most. This new version was dramatically different than the original composition. It is expanded by nearly two and a half minutes in length and features Led Zeppelin's John Paul Jones on bass and keyboards. Donovan is... You know, he's he's a showbiz sort of guy, you know. And what I mean is, like, if when folk music, probably because of Bob Dylan, was taking over the world, he, you know, he he sounded probably more like Bob Dylan than Bob Dylan did. You know, you you mistake a lot of his music. Well, I mean, I don't I don't mistake it, but I mean, it sounds very much like when Bob Dylan was being Woody Guthrie or something. You know, it's in that vein. Um, and then he has these songs that, and this is another great thing about him, I don't know if it's to his credit or to his detriment, that he re-records them. And Catch the Wind, for me, I only knew the later version. So he has two versions of the same song. And the early version um, of Catch the Wind uh, sounds very much like uh, a Scottish guy doing a Bob Dylan interpretation. It's his own song, it's his own words or whatever, but it's very much in the vein of an early acoustic, you know, uh, Bob Dylan thing. And then he re-records it for whatever the legal reasons or whatever. There's always these great reasons why people have to <laughs> do things. And I, I love that they couldn't use the original recording, so they re-record a version of it, I don't even know what year it is. This is 1968 or 69 or something. And this new version of the song that used to sound like uh, a Bob Dylan song, to me, sounds like a, a Beatles Hey Jude song. You know, it starts off, it's very melodic and very, whim, you know, has whimsy, but it's, it's got an emotional attachment to the melody, unlike the, the Bob Dylan version of it. And it's very sweet. It's very longing. It's got this, and I think works... Uh, for me, I think it works a lot better than the than the Bob Dylan version, but that's just my, you know, my subjective. I'm 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 eight years old when I hear hear it or something, you know. Um, and it's it has I don't know if it's produced by, but I think it, it it includes John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin, and later in the song the drums come in and they sound slightly bombastic of his, as if it could be even uh, John Bonham from Led Zeppelin playing. I think some people think it is, but I, I don't think it is. Um, but it sounds great and it's kind of ramshackle and it kind of rocks and it's kind of sloppy and it kind of reminds you of yeah hey jude or or the, this is the dawning of the age of aquarius that's a song uh yeah by, by fifth dimension or something so all these 
influences again of the time, Donovan just, you know, he just takes them in and either is ripping them off or trying to sound like them or just embraces the idea of I'm going to sound like whatever is happening or whatever's happening is going to sound like me or whatever it is that he's doing. And I think makes an absolutely great five minutes of music that I listen to, listen to all the time. And my copy of This Greatest Hits, I mean, that would be, I got the record at a used record store already. And then that, that particular song on The Greatest Hits would, would be so scratched up, you know, that the scratches on my vinyl version of it from the late 70s would be part of the sound to me now. You know, when I hear a pristine uh, digital copy of it, I don't quite trust that it's really the song because the song I'm used to hearing, you know, Donovan is, he's struggling to get through the, the crackles and the distortion and all that haze of stuff that to me is just part of the, is why I like it. I mean, my, my mother had uh, Tom Jones records when I was really, really young and we, you know, had the crappiest, you know, uh, uh, you know, record player that had the speakers inside the record player and all that, that you could buy at what was then the Walmart of the time, a TG&Y. I don't even know if people know what that is anymore. And we would we'd play these records 500 times a day with absolutely no, um, no regard for, you know, throwing the needle on there as hard as we could and picking it up. And they were literally scratched to the point where you could hardly hear the song. But we had gotten so used to it after a while that, um, you know, this haze of clutter and time and, and all that, it, it became part of the, that, the, the charm of those songs for me. So I think even in that, you see when the Flaming Lips go to do all this stuff, you know, by the time we're really able to do recordings that are, you know, somehow are mirroring my my subconscious desires. They have a lot of distortion on them. They sound like they could have been recorded in the late 50s or something. There's just something about this otherworldliness of this gentle, musical, quiet music having to fight its way through this haze of stuff. And I, I know that now. It's probably because I'm listening to those old Tom Jones records and, and Beatles records and all kinds of records, but especially this Donovan record, which was scratchy when I even first got it at the, at the, at the thrift store or whatever. But um, yeah, and, 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 and I, I look at this thing that Donovan did where he re-records it. I, I applaud him, you know, to not be caught in the idea of what you were, if you think about his career at the time, if, this, if his first version of Catch the Wind uh, came out in, I don't even know when it would have been, would it have been 1963 or 64? Um, and here he is just four years later, which as an older person, I mean, four years, I'm like, that's just nothing anymore, you know. Here he is four years later saying, yeah, I'm not that guy now, I'm this other guy. I'm like, go for it. I mean, I, 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 I think that's the, that's the bravest, coolest thing you can do. And, and people say, well, is, is that authentic? I'm like, yes. Uh, making a fool of yourself is the greatest proof of authenticity we have. It's like being, doing something that you're embarrassed about is nothing. Don't worry about that. <laughs> the flaming, I mean, the flaming lips career is, is that, you know, it's the idea of that we get to 
we get to express ourselves and then, oh, well, well, now we're, we changed our mind. Now we're saying something else. And that, that's what expression is. I mean, you, you can't know and it would be boring to predict, you know, the way you're going to be in the future. Who cares about that? You know, you're going to, the future, when it gets there, you're going to live in that moment. And that'll be what you want to do to, to try to predict who you're going to be one or two years from now. It's like, that's just, ah, it's boring. In 1967, the filmmaker D.A. Pennebaker released his now-legendary documentary, Don't Look Back. The film chronicles a confrontational Bob Dylan during his 1965 tour of England and features a young Donovan at the start of his career. Around the same time, Dylan would introduce Donovan to the members of the Beatles, and in just a few short years, Donovan and the Beatles would travel to India together to study transcendental meditation. While there, he wrote his 1968 hit, Hurdy Gurdy Man, as featured on Donovan's Greatest Hits. The tambura that he plays on the track was a gift from George Harrison, and the recording features John Paul Jones and Jimmy Page of a soon-to-be-formed Led Zeppelin. While still popular and active to this day, Donovan's career plateaued in the 70s. He told the UK-based newspaper The Telegraph in 2016, I didn't want to be a pop star or a folk star, I was a poet, and I still am. Back in the day, when you were able to watch the the Pennebaker, uh, don't look back, you know, Dylan documentary at the time, um, we didn't really see it till it had been out for quite a while. You know, it was only these things only became available probably with the first reissue of things on VHS or something like that. You know, and I have to say, I absolutely loved Donovan's um, just. Hey man, I'm just I'm just cool with anything versus Bob Dylan's I hate everybody and I'm sick of all this stuff. You know, it's like it was just the yin and yang of like they're both backstage. Donovan wants to be like Bob Dylan, but he has a kind of show busy, hey man, I'm just here cuz it's cool uh way about himself, which I think to me is a lot more um, likable. I mean, we all love and we all respect and we all admire, you know, uh, Bob Dylan's, you know, he's just a ferocious ego or whatever. But I think in a, as a guy to party with, he doesn't seem like he's that much fun. <laughs> but I mean, um, Donovan goes on and for whatever the reason, yeah, he gets connected to uh, the Beatles and he gets connected to guys who end up being the guys in, in Led Zeppelin, John Paul Jones, Jimmy Page, both playing on his hurdy-gurdy man. I guess that's confirmed that he's playing on, on, on those. I mean, it's a great, great sounding record, and it's a great, it's a weird, weird record. Um, strange that it's a hit, because it's a weird song. It's a weird song, you know, to be a hit in America, and it's, it's a popular enough song that a lot of people will know it. Um, and I think it, because it's it has these these references to you know the guys who would end up being in Led Zeppelin you know all that stuff keeps it kind of you know occasionally in in people's minds it's like oh yeah that's that's them as well um and 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 it's and it's cool i mean you know it, it it's you do wonder why he kind of ran out of steam after the mid 70s you know donovan not not led zeppelin but you know donovan why he didn't you know, I did, there's there's probably some recording of him out there trying to be new wave or something that does never work. <laughs> but but I would listen to it and see what he did. 
Donovan's Greatest Hits features the song Mellow Yellow, which was released in 1966. The song reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in the U.S. It has been reported that Paul McCartney is one of the background voices featured on the song, and while uncredited, that he played bass on portions of the album of the same name. Donovan has stated that the song was about smoking dried banana leaves, and has also claimed that its usage of the term electrical banana was a reference to a vibrator at the time. The way uh, that Donovan makes a really ridiculously um, catchy song like Mellow Yellow, um, where you can, you can sing about it, sing along with it and all that, and actually have no idea what he's talking about. And it can be to you whatever Mellow Yellow is, you can sing about it and it can become whatever you think that is. Um, but yeah, eventually you kind of go, no, really, what is it? You know, and, and then... Um, because I'm old enough to know that, that, that people would people would try to smoke anything that um, you know was available to see if it if it got you high or got you off in some way, like uh, smoking pot does or something. Um, yeah, there must have been some rumor or some idea that if you smoked, <laughs> are we right by saying if you smoked dried banana peels, that you would get high on that? And I'm sure people probably did that. And there probably was a sense that if you, you know, anytime you inhale a lot of smoke, you probably do get some sense of, I don't know if it's high, but you probably get some, you know, head rush from it or whatever. But he doesn't just, he probably didn't actually try it. You know, knowing him, he probably wanted to be the first one to write a song about it because when everybody thought it was cool, he would have, <laughs> he would have a song about smoking bananas. Um, and then the idea that, it was a vibrator, you know, like a, like a, I guess it's like a banana shaped yellow vibrator that must have come out in the early, I guess, I'm guessing this is late 60s or early 70s, which I don't believe is true. But, but if Donovan says it's true, that's good enough for me. And that he was singing about that as well. So this mellow yellow that he's, they call me mellow yellow. And whatever the words are that he says after that, is it French or whatever? Um, you know, it, it's just, it, it, I mean, it's a great evocative, cool vibe. And so the fact that it could be, you know, about smoking bananas or about getting yourself off on this banana-shaped vibrator, it's like, hey, man, that's, if that's, that, that's, those, those sound like great reasons to have a song. Mostly because it's a great, great, to me, it's a great, great song, and it's evocative, and it's, this is where, for me, I feel like Donovan, because he's trying to be cool, or he's trying to be, you know, he wants to be compared to other people or whatever, he, he does go into this area that I feel like is very original. You know, it's sort of schmaltzy, it's kind of old-fashioned dance hall music, and it's very hippie, you know, drug culture, American music at the same time. And, you know, we get these great, great original moments. Now, I'd, I've never really listened to, like, a whole record of the, of the record that, say, Mellow Yellow would have been on, you know, the collection of songs that he would have put out, you know, the, the eight or ten songs or whatever it would have been. And maybe all, a lot of those are, are cheaper or not as, you know, as charming or whatever. But as a singular song with that title, Mellow Yellow, and... I think it's just wonderful. I think any songwriter and any any artist um, trying to kind of have a, uh, 
a meeting of their own, their own tastes and their own life and their own trip and yet have something to say that you feel like is of, of right now and all that. I think anybody would look at that and be, be pleased if they'd come up with that. And like, yeah. And, it, and it's another great example of, you know, if, if this is put out in the late 60s or early 70s, you know, five or six years after that, this song is going to be made fun of. You know, it's going to be the song that you point at and say, yeah, this old-timey, stupid hippie music has nothing to do with what's going on now. And that's, that's true of any music that you make. You know, any music that is relevant right now, you know, in today's atmosphere, a month from now is not going to be relevant. And if you try to make music that is going to be forever relevant, it's not going to ever, ever be relevant ever anyway, you know. And this idea that, oh, he's not cool or whatever, it's like, no, that's what makes people cool is they're, they're either oblivious to the later arrows that will be slung at them because of their preciousness or whatever or they're aware of it and they do it anyway you know and we should all do that you know um say what you want right now you know you can't predict what the what the meaning is going to turn into later you know and i absolutely love that about him and in time i think that's why you know his music is so um especially for musicians there's a there's an element of what he does that people just really you just really respect it, you know, because it's unabashedly, you know, he's going, he's, he's going for it. And, and as the Flaming Lips, I mean, we, you know, we have an enthusiasm for doing stuff that does put you into that category quite often. The things you said sometimes even before you can put your records out seem kind of stupid and irrelevant. Even by the time you put them out, oh, well, you know, what do you do? <laughs> In addition to being an acclaimed songwriter, Donovan is also an incredibly talented guitarist. It is well documented that during his time spent in India with the Beatles, that he taught John Lennon and Paul McCartney a guitar picking style called the claw hammer. This technique heavily influenced the Beatles' 1968 eponymous double album, commonly referred to as the White Album. The technique can be heard in John Lennon's Dear Prudence and Julia, and Paul McCartney's Blackbird and Mother Nature's Son. It can also be heard on George Harrison's While My Guitar Gently Weeps. He's a great, great singer. And, um, and a, like, uh, like when we talk about the Beatles, you know, we'd, we'd forget how insanely, insanely musical and talented they really are. You know, I think that's the, that's the, it's the invisible part of it because you get used to things just being so spectacular that you don't remember Oh, it is spectacular, you know, and uh, I think there's a lot of those uh, those songs that Donovan would do. I really, I mean, I'm not a very good musician even now, you know. I got into music um, just out of sheer enthusiasm and, and loving to listen to it and, you know, trying to do my own thing. But I can never figure out how he's doing stuff, and he's using capos and he's using weird tunings. The same like with, uh, obviously, with some Beatles stuff or even like Simon and Garfunkel. It's just... You know, they're great, great, simple songs, but they're done by these guys, and they don't, they don't, people don't talk about this aspect of it, but, you know, that they're really great guitar players, and not just great at hitting notes, but stylistically and, and you know, being, having evocative moods come out of this sort of clunky instrument, and Donovan is, you know, he's just, he's just seamless like that. Of course he's playing this insane great guitar and then some other weird tuning and it just sounds so perfect and simple but it's not 
it's not effortless. You know, it's it's a lot of lot of it's a lot of work. It's a lot of talent made with work and going over and over and over and making it work, making it simple, making it you know, making it a song, making it evocative and all that. It's like it does it's just not apparent. And and I think when people are really, really great at what they're doing, that's the greatest compliment they they can have. It's like, oh, you know, how great. It's like watching someone, you know, run a marathon. I could do that if I wanted to, but I don't really want to, but I could if I wanted to, because anybody can do it, right? That, you know, it's like, no, no, it's, it's, it's not like that. But it's wonderful that it appears that way. I think that's part of the, the great mastery of the art, is that, of course you like this, because, you know, if you sat down to sing and play guitar, you might sound like this too. No, it's not true, but I mean, it's, that's part of the, the joy of it, you know, is that it, this is part of all of us, you know, and um, yeah, and, and anytime, um, I mean, there's always this silly thing where, where people who aren't musicians or whatever like uh, talking about Ringo Starr of the Beatles, and it's like, oh, poor Ringo, he wasn't very good. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? You have, no, you have no idea what you're talking about, but you're not going to convince them. This is just this this concocted, stupid thing that everybody refers to, like, well, of course, John Lennon is talented, and Ringo is just kind of lucky to be along. It's like, no, they're all insanely great at what they're doing. And the fact that you don't just like one of their songs, that with the Beatles, uh, and like a lot of artists, you like almost every song that they do, that's, that's everybody, everybody being insanely great at what they're doing. And you can go listen to a lot of bands who aren't that good and you won't like them as much because <laughs> all those things come together and it's, it makes it seem uh, that, it's, that it's simple and that anybody could do it. And, it, and it, it, it can make people have these dismissive qualities like, oh, he's not that good. And it's like, no, I mean, Donovan, you think about him whatever way you want, but he's amazing, amazing. He's an amazing singer, he's an amazing songwriter, he's an amazing lyricist, amazing you know, musician, yeah, you know, that's why those records were put out to begin with, let alone that they, you know, there's some of them um, are still going to work today, they'll probably work forever, you know, and yeah, he's just, they're cool, I mean, and, and, and I think all that is good news, it's good news to think that it's because they work hard, you know, it's good news because they're trying, it's good news because they're trying and failing, it doesn't all work, but some of it really works. I think all that's good news. I think the worst thing in the world for people to hear is like, oh, it's just easy, now I just wake up and do it, you know, it's like, no, I mean, the, what I like about artists, the more I know about them, is yeah, they, they would try over and over, and they'd fail, and they'd try again, they'd keep working at it, you know, and then they'd have a breakthrough, and they would, they would get lucky, yeah. Thank you to Wayne Coyne of Flaming Lips, and thanks for listening to this episode of Fidelity High. All episodes of Fidelity High are available for download on iTunes and fidelityhigh.com. 